Amen. So that is a little bit about Bulgaria. I love the video because it shows us pictures and gives us an idea what the country looks like. Um, a lot of people will ask me, what's the economy like? Is it that first world, second world, third world country? Well, it's second world because they were aligned with the communists, with Russia. Um, but yet, it's a country that's done very well for itself in many ways. And with that in mind, I like to show people what it looks like. You get everything from poverty to people who are very well off. It's a very interesting country. And with that said, I'd love to try to answer any questions you might have. Are there any questions? Simeon always has a question. Um, it never fails, and it's usually one of two things. So, um, But if there's somebody else with a question, I'll take your question first. I'll resort to him last. So. Yes. Certainly. So back in 2015, I believe, might have been a little bit further, um, we lost our, our last child. We actually named him Ezra, so hearing the name Ezra was uh, kind of reminded me of that. But we lost him. He was stillborn. And with that stillbirth, my wife and I cannot have any more children physically together. And so we love children. Um, we have five, and a lot of people will say, you want to add number six, and I'll say absolutely, because we love children. Uh, children are an heritage from the Lord. That's what the scripture teaches us. And because of our love for children and my desire to have another little girl, we started looking at adopting number six. None of my children are adopted. I get that question a lot from my pamphlet. Um, but I started looking at adopting number six, and, and my wife did most of the research, and I, when we were talking about it, God led us to foreign adoption, and from foreign, I suggested to my wife, look at the Slavic areas of, of Europe, and that led us to Bulgaria, because Bulgaria will let a family of seven adopt a child, something we didn't know. Um, and my wife learned. But as my wife was doing that research, she also saw the state of the orphanages in Bulgaria. She saw what was being taught and, and what was happening due to communism in the family unit inside the country of Bulgaria. And she shared that with me, and I had a simple response. I know what fixes broken families. I mentioned I broke my family as an unsafe person. The gospel of Jesus Christ fixed my family. The gospel of Jesus Christ can fix Bulgarian families. And, and that was just a realization I had. But God worked through her life to show her more and more the need there and develop a burden for her. Uh, I had at one time asked my wife about becoming missionaries, and I got told no. We had some health issues at the time, and uh, I, I took it. I got told no, and I took it as an absolutely not. And so I told my wife I would never ask her again about being missionaries. And uh, at that time, what I knew God had done is he'd called us to ministry. And so I said, okay, well, if we're not going to be missionaries, then God's calling us to the pastorate. So let's find a church to pastor. I ended up being called to Metro Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri, as their pastor in 2019. And when they were questioning me, one of their questions was, how long do you plan to be our, our pastor? How long do you plan to be here? My answer was, for the rest of my life. And I'm still a firm believer that a pastor should be in his church for the rest of his life. I know God leads people out of churches. God led us to Bulgaria. He did that through COVID. So I pastored the church, started pastoring in, in February of 2019. Uh, as we went on, uh, March of 2020 hit us. 
I preach the message about following our government and obeying the local laws that are, are put in place. And I know a lot of churches had different responses to COVID. I don't down anybody's response. Each local church is responsible for their reaction to these different things as they happen. And so our reaction was, we can't uphold what the city is asking us to do. So we shut our church doors for, for several weeks. We got into May of 2020, and the Lord started convicting me that we could reopen our church. And he was working in my heart. And so I started looking at reopening, and I'm a person, I like, I, I was in the Army, so I like to write things called policies. I'm really good at those. Um, probably one of the weirdest things to be good at. I think it's partially the, the gift administration that God gives us as, as members of his local church. And so I started writing policies. I ended up writing about 20 different policies. I took it to the leadership of my church, and I tried to reopen the church. And I got a big no each time I asked to reopen my church. I got to the point at the end of June, I'd made a statement to the deacons, I either need to resign or we need to reopen. I went on vacation for two weeks, and guess where the first place we went was? We went to church. Sweet fellowship, singing together with people. It was amazing. And the Lord convicting me we needed to be in church. So we went on our vacation. I preached all our messages. I really didn't take time off as far as church goes because if you're on an online service, you can preach from Louisiana up in Kansas. So that's exactly what I did. And I preached several messages about reopening, and I got back, and my deacons were mad at me. So they took me to church discipline for a desire to reopen the church. They actually brought up everything I had done wrong in a year and a half of pastoring. Trust me, I can do a lot of things wrong in a year and a half. I'm sure your pastor could do a lot of things wrong in a year and a half. So they came at me. I didn't resign at that point. God didn't tell me to resign yet. I sought counsel from, from three different pastors. I took their counsel, and, and I pursued reopening the church. That's what I pursued. The deacons ended up resigning. Um, the Bible talks about heretics, and a lot of times we think of heretics as somebody who preaches false doctrines. A biblical definition of heretics is somebody that is causing divisions within our church. And that's a really good subject to, to study out. Later on, after I resigned, I found out how many divisions were being caused by the deacons of the church. That's a heretic. It's hard to say that. I love those men. I love that church. I couldn't lead it to reopen. The two deacons resigned. The last church officer asked for my resignation, and so I resigned in July of 2021. Along this same time, the Lord's calling me to full-time ministry. So I have a question to God. What am I supposed to be doing? You're calling me to full-time ministry, and I'm resigning at the church I'm pastoring. I was bivocational at, at Metro Baptist, so I was working full-time and, and pastoring, and, and the Lord called me to full-time ministry. So what's the next steps? And, and I asked that question, and I knew the next step after resigning was to get back into church. So we found Olivet Baptist Church. We were there before I pastored at Metro. Uh, first Sunday back, we joined their membership. We're supposed to be members of a local body of Christ, so we joined their membership. And I went to Pastor Anderson, and I said, Pastor, what can I do to serve? 
And my pastor said, wouldn't you believe it? We've got plenty of places for you to serve in our local church. And so that next Wednesday night, I was serving in my church again, the church God had for us. I was still asking this question, what do we do? I, I mentioned to pastor, maybe God's calling us to missions. Maybe he's calling us to the pastorate. What do we do? And pastor gave me a simple answer. He said, pursue both. So I sent out 75 resumes. Could you believe there's 75 churches across America needing pastors? I'll tell you there are, and there's much more than 75 churches looking for pastors today. I heard back from one church, one church. I did a, a phone interview with them, and I didn't hear back from them. Um, it's interesting how churches say, we'll give you a call back, and then you never hear from them again. Uh, and, and so that's what happened to us. I never heard from them again, so we decided, well, evidently that door is closing, so what do we do now? It was about that time that my daughter Ashley came up to me and she had a simple question, Dad, why can't we become missionaries to Bulgaria? It's already been on our hearts. We've already seen the need in the country. And from the word of my daughter, mouth of my daughter, I hear, why can't we just become missionaries? And for me, that was the big red truck moment I needed to be hit by so I could understand God was calling us to missions. The door closed to, to that, so at the same time, we were pursuing missions. And, and I went to my pastor, I asked pastor, um, maybe God's calling us to missions, what do we do? And pastor said, find a mission board. Now, I like local church autonomy, and I believe in a strong local church. And so I said, pastor, can our church do it? And he said, go find a mission board. Now, you might say, what's your response? My response is to be obedient to my pastor. I went and found a mission board. So I started this process of finding a mission board. I, and there's tons of independent Baptist mission boards out there. Um, and, and with that being the case, I started my research. We started talking with one and, and thought they would be a good fit. And as we were talking, they made a statement. We don't have anybody in Bulgaria. Why don't you go to Romania instead? And I had a simple answer. God didn't call us to Romania. He called us to Bulgaria. That door closed. And at the same time that it closed, God opened BIMI wide open for us. Ed Hembry, our director, sent us an email saying, we're excited to meet you in November. Get your missionary application in. We had a month to get that application in. That application included three pastoral references. It included seven physicals. And it included things that I have no clue how they got done, but it was all completed in about a month. How does that happen? God opens the door. So we pursued that and went to a referring committee and were referred to be missionaries with BIMI to the country of Bulgaria. It's an exciting time in our lives. Went back to our church, let pastor know. We then got to do BIMI candidate school on Zoom. That was an experience. Zoom is great, but not when you have the Pontiuses on it, the Akuikos. They're on your board back there, by the way. Um, and about 60 other missionary families on Zoom. And a candidate director, who I love, who came in and says, everybody unmute yourselves, because he wants to hear from you. Well, you got that reverb from all 60 of those computers. And, and we just had a lot of good experiences, but, but that first night, we went before the board of directors, and they accepted us to go to Bulgaria as missionaries with BIMI. That was that next step. So now I have a deputation to plan. Seems God's opening this door for us. 
So I start making phone calls. I start putting materials together. Our plan initially was to start deputation in February of 2021, part-time initially. And so we started deputation. And, and it was just interesting because as I made phone calls, I told all these pastors February and after, and I get on a phone and I have one pastor say, well, we're having missions conference in January. Why don't you come to that? I said, Pastor, I'm not ready for a missions conference in January. He says, I don't care. Come to my missions conference. So we went without materials when I planned it, without a script, not knowing what to even say as a missionary. I mean, what do you say in a presentation? And that church almost took us on for support before my sending church did. Why? Because God opened those doors. During all this time, so we talk about that call to a country, how do you know? During all this time, we had a recommendation, go to Bulgaria on a survey trip. But it's 2020, 2021, and Bulgaria is closed. You can't, get out of, you can't get into the country as a United States citizen. So how do you do a survey trip? Well, I'm pretty bullheaded sometimes. I'm quite open and honest about that. So I said, well, Adoniram Judson did not go to Burma before he was a missionary to Burma. David Livingston didn't go explore Africa before he went to Africa. So why do I need a survey trip? And that was my attitude. Well, as I'm trying to schedule meetings, I told my wife, if we're going to try to go to Bulgaria, let's plan for September of 2021. I'm making phone calls, and I can't get one single meeting scheduled in August of 2021. I couldn't get one. But I got offers for September. And so I scheduled one, and at the end of April, I said, Angie, I think God maybe wants us to go on a survey trip in August of 2021. And so we bought plane tickets for myself, Ashley, and Angie to go. And at this point, Bulgaria is closed for travel still. No way we could get into the country. It's the end of April. We bought our tickets for August 8th. We go to candidate school, too, at the IMI in June. We proceed on with deputation and, and praying about going on this survey trip that's been recommended to us by so many. And, and what do you know that July 31st, God opened the country of Bulgaria for tourism and allowed us to go. As we went, I told the missionary there, and I'm probably giving the long version of the answer to you, to you but um, I, I had a simple, rec at, you know, he asked me what I wanted to see in Bulgaria. We're tourists in the country, so what do you want to see? I told him I want to see Plovdiv and I want to see Pleven. Pleven's the seventh largest city. Nothing really special about it, but I wanted to go see it. So we saw those two cities, and the most important thing I told him was I want to see ministry in Bulgaria. And Brother Sheergalis, the missionary we're going to work with, showed us ministry inside of Bulgaria. We walked in the city, and, and it was amazing. So something that Bulgarians don't do, I don't know how it is here in New York, but you don't knock doors in Bulgaria. The reason is only the secret police knocks on your door. And usually they're coming through it after they knock. And, and so that's their experiences. They won't answer. So what we did is we stuffed mailboxes with, with gospel literature, a gospel track, and an invite to church. Well, in the city, you could stuff about five, 6,000 mailboxes in about two to three hours. It was pretty amazing. There's a lot of work done very quickly. Well, Brother Sheergalis also wanted to start a new Bible study in a city, or a village, I should say, called Olympaland in rural Bulgaria. And so he took us and showed us what that looks like. We passed out about 7,000 tracts in two weeks. We walked 90 miles in those two weeks. 
we lost about 20 pounds each in those two weeks. And we saw ministry in those two weeks. Brother Shergallis made sure we saw that. And as we were doing ministry with, with Brother Shergallis, it just confirmed in my heart that this is the place you're supposed to be. These people need the gospel of Jesus Christ preached to them. My daughter mentions there's a darkness in the country, and it's, it's hard to explain that darkness, but it's easy at the same time. All I have to say is look around you. The darkness is here as well. But there's darkness, and they need somebody to shine the light of the gospel. And God convicted me of that, and so here we are, going to Bulgaria, ready to be there yesterday. So any other questions? Since I gave you the long version. I was going to say, I think you had your hand up partially back there. I'll say, you better be careful scratching. I call you. Simeon has one question. I'll take his and then I'll preach because I love to preach. Simeon. He asked me that, what do they like to do? And I answered him simply because he usually asked me, what do they like to eat? And uh, I think everybody likes to eat. So that's what I always tell him. They like to eat. Bulgarians uh, like to eat their food very salty, so they start salting their food where Americans usually stop salting their food. And the very first thing they do and they get their food is they add more salt to it. Um, so it's a very salty diet. It is a pork and chicken based diet. It's very delicious, a lot of fresh fruits and, and I shouldn't say fruits, a lot of fresh veggies. And I love the veggies. They had a really good salad called Shotska, which is basically tomatoes and cucumbers and peppers and some vinaigrette dressing on it, and it's just delicious, and some of their cheese. Um, but they also uh, kind of had that national dish of skembe, which I was telling some other people about earlier, which is a tripe soup, and is a delicious soup that I am learning to like and love, because if you're going to be Bulgarian, you have to like skembe. If you don't know what tripe is, it's the stomach lining of a cow just so you know. And yes, all five of my kids will like tripe when we get over there. I'll give one more option for, for questions. If not, then I'll, I'll preach because I love to preach. How, how long do I have? I know we're right at 9. What's that? 9.30? Okay. This is the latest uh, church service I've ever been to for a Wednesday night, and I like it. You know, the Apostle Paul preached till midnight, and I've made that mention before. But the thing about Paul I, is he preached somewhere with windows, and somebody sat in that window, and he fell out. And um, every time I mention that, they say, yeah, but you can't raise people from the dead like Paul did. And I'll be completely honest, I cannot. So. Let me just, uh, as I, I preach here, I want to make a statement. God kind of has put it on my heart to preach this message. It's a message I've preached several times before. And the title is quite simply, Buying Fields When It Seems to Make No Sense. It's based out of Jeremiah chapter 32. So if you'll turn there with me, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 32. What I'd like to do is I'm actually going to condense down a little bit. I want to look at the response of Jeremiah to God asking him to purchase a piece of ground. Now you might say, why, didn't it, why, why did it make no sense in Jeremiah's time to be purchasing this? Well, it didn't make sense because Jeremiah had just predicted the downfall of Jerusalem. They were surrounded by the Chaldeans. They were about to be defeated. And in Jeremiah's prediction to the king of Judah, he told him that you will look face to face with the king of the Chaldeans. 
a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. I think it's Nebuchadnezzar in here. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar, he was going to look at him face to face. And it's after this prediction, and after he predicted this, the king wasn't too happy with him. So he said, you know what, Jeremiah, I'm going to put you in prison. And so Jeremiah ended up in the king's prison. And the Lord came to Jeremiah in a vision and told him, your uncle's son's going to come to you and offer you a piece of ground to buy, and I want you to buy it. I want you to buy it. Let me ask you, would you buy that piece of ground? I'd, I'd like to think that we would all say yes because God told us to do it. But I don't know that I'd have said yes. I don't know that I would say that. And yet the Lord came to him and said, buy this piece of ground. And so then he's sitting there in jail and his uncle's son comes to him and says, purchase this piece of ground. You are my kinsman redeemer. It's a great picture of what Christ did for Israel. He was their kinsman redeemer. It's also a great picture because as Jeremiah purchases that piece of ground, he's showing the promise that the nation of Israel would return. Jeremiah did not yet know what Nehemiah was going to do. He did not yet know what Ezra was going to do in the Bible. And, and so he was looking forward, and as he purchased this ground, it was a picture of what God was going to do to that nation. At the same time, I still say it didn't make a lot of sense. And with that in mind, I want to look at missions. And then we'll look at our passage here. When I was growing up, I'm only 36, so I'm still growing up, and maybe one of these days I will grow up. But as I'm growing up, uh, one of the messages I always heard my pastors preaching to me was that if the apostles were in the last days, we've got to be in the last minutes. We've got to be in the last minutes. Well, let me tell you, they said that all the time when I was growing up, and, and if they were in the last minutes, then we've got to be in the last seconds for the return of Christ. I believe Christ could come the next second. And what a glory that would be. What a glory that would be. And yet, even though he may return in the next second, he calls us as Christians to buy fields. You might say, what field is that? Well, the mission field that he gives to us. He gives it to us in his plan for the church, in the Great Commission. And... With that in mind, I, I, I want us to consider as we look at Jeremiah and him purchasing fields as they make no sense to him to purchase it, I want you to consider ourselves as we look at purchasing fields being the mission field. What we find here in Jeremiah chapter 32, I'm not going to re read the account of his prophecy or him, him buying this piece of ground, but I do want to look in verse number 8, and, and I'm going to read through this verse, but I, I really want to see is his last statement, because his last statement is the beginning of his response. And here's what our scriptures say in Jeremiah 32, verse number 8. So Hanamiel, mine uncle's son, came to me in the court of of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, By my field I pray thee, that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of an inheritance is thine, and the redemption is thine. Buy it for thyself. Jeremiah's response, here it is. Then I knew 
that this was the word of the Lord. Then I knew this was the word of the Lord. God told him to buy a piece of ground when it didn't seem to make sense. But he could do it because he knew this was the word of the Lord. He understood God's plan. With that in mind, let's make some application to missions. We understand that missions is God's plan. Let's turn over real quick. Keep a finger or a mark here in Jeremiah 32. We'll be back, but let's go over to Acts chapter 1. Because in Acts chapter 1, we see Christ's last command to the church. And I would say that his last command should be our first concern. That is not original to me. I don't know who said it first. But it's catchy. His last command should be our first concern. And his last command is this. But ye shall receive power after me. Wait a second. Acts 1 verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is his command to us. This is his plan for the church. This is what we call missions. I, I always like to look at this plan, and I want to point something out as we read through this. It says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. We know what a witness is. That's, that's usually preached a lot. But what we often forget is this little word that comes in here. It says, be witnesses unto me both. What a word, both. But it has great implications as we read on. We're to be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem. And as we look at the apostles, they had a physical Jerusalem to be witnesses in. A physical Jerusalem. We have a Jerusalem to be witnesses in. The Jerusalem around us. We're in Lodi, New Jersey. It's our Jerusalem. Let me just ask you quickly, what are we doing to reach it? Are we door knocking? I love door knocking. Door knocking is not the only way to reach your community. It's a method I love. Are you door knocking? Are you living your life as a witness? When we talk about being a witness, we're talking about purposely going out there and telling people about Christ. Are you purposely telling friends, family, neighbors about Christ? That's how we're going to reach our Jerusalem. The Jerusalem being here. That's our application as we look at this. But what we find is that we're to be witnesses in both. So we don't stop at Jerusalem. We go on to the next place. We're to be witnesses in both Jerusalem and Samaria. Why did the Lord include Samaria? He included it because he knew the apostles wouldn't go there. Let's just be quite frank about it. So I always have to ask myself the question, where do I not want to go to? Because those are our Samarias. In the United States of America, I don't want to go to Chicago. I don't want to go to L.A. Quite frankly, I don't desire to go to New York City. We're right here. <laughs> but, you know, these are our Samarias, the places we don't want to go. And yet we're commanded to be witnesses in both. So let me just ask the church a question. So why is it then that we call people who go to the foreign field missionaries, but the church planter, and notice I say church planter because that's what many churches do that are going to New York City, going to Chicago, going to L.A., going to these places. Why don't we call them missionaries and treat them like missionaries? Instead, we treat them like church planters. They might get our support for a year or two. 
I was under the ministry of one of those church planners in Washington, D.C. I remember when support dropped from different churches. The struggle that that pastor went through. You see, our Samarias need to be reached, too. And it's our responsibility to reach Samaria. It's amazing to hear about a sister church in Boston because that's exactly what it's doing. We're reaching a Samaria. An area people don't want to go and yet has people that need the gospel so badly. We go on, though. We, again, we find in both in Jerusalem. I missed Judea there. I skipped over to Samaria. And then we have the uttermost part of the earth, and that's what we have missionaries for. We partner with missionaries to send them into the uttermost. And oftentimes we view it as us giving money so that you can go win somebody on my behalf. And that's what missions is. But let me give you another concept. As I go to Bulgaria, who's going to reach Lodi, New Jersey? I can't reach there. The Apostle Paul in Romans said, how shall they hear without a preacher? And, and what great missions messages have we heard out of that? But let me remind you, he's talking about his own people, the children of Israel in that statement. How shall they hear without a preacher? How will Americans hear without a preacher? As we go, I desire to be partnered with churches that are going to reach America. And the challenge as I preach this, this is God's plan for missions, is for you to reach this area. As I go out and purchase the field for you in Bulgaria, I think of the Okuakos going to Ghana. As they go to Ghana and purchase that field for you, I believe they just left, I think. As the Pontiuses purchase Mexico for you, are you purchasing your field here at home in Jerusalem? Let's head back to Jeremiah chapter 32. We just looked at one simple response, and where we really find his response comes in verse number 17. And as I look at buying fields when it seems to make no sense, I want to remind you that we can purchase these fields first off because it is God's plan. Secondly, because we serve a God of great power. Verse number 17 starts out, and it says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousand, and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. What did Jeremiah just do? He just invoked the power of the creator God the God that created everything he could see, the same God who in Romans 1 says he leaves the world without excuse. We know there's a creator by looking at the creation around us. That's power. That's power. As I look at missions, we read the Great Commission. God gave the apostles power to be witnesses. The same power that he indwells us with when we get saved. To go and be witnesses for him. As Jeremiah says, we serve a God of great power. He knew that he could buy that field with confidence because God had the power to accomplish his will. In other words, he's saying you're a sovereign God. There is nothing too hard for you, Lord. 
as we go out, God gives us power. We should be able to say the same thing as we purchase fields. Lord, you're a sovereign God. Nothing's too hard for you. If we do that, we can trust in God's power as we reach out to the lost. We can trust in God's power as we plant new churches. We can trust in God's power as we send out missionaries. And and by the way, I say we, this church should be sending out missionaries. God calls you to be a missionary, go talk to your pastor. He's the one you need to talk to. But this church should be sending out missionaries. You might ask me where to. Well, I have my preferences. I'd love to see one of you all in Bulgaria. But I know there's a whole world of fields out there that need purchased. And maybe God calls you to an obscure field where maybe a missionary hasn't gone and you purchase that field for this church's behalf. What an amazing thing. And we can do that if we trust in God's power. We must seek the power of the Holy Spirit to enable and guide us to accomplish God's mission. And when we do, we can confidently buy new fields because of God's power. We can also buy new fields because we understand that we are linked to God's great purposes. If we look in verse number 19, Jeremiah says, Great in counsel and mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Whose ways are mighty in works? Whose ways and whose counsel are we talking about? We're talking about God's counsel and God's ways. And and let me just say that Jeremiah was guided by the Holy Spirit and understood God's purpose for the nation of Israel. He understood that God would redeem them. And he did when he sent Christ to earth to die on a cross. He understood that the people would return to the nation. But as I think about the nation of Israel, I I say as we look at missions, we too must understand God's purpose for the nations. And we discover this purpose in God's word. It's the only place we find it. And what we discover is that in Revelation 5 and verse 9, God says that he is going to redeem a people unto himself out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. That is God's purpose with missions. Every. Every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And if we really understand that and believe it, then we, like Jeremiah, must pursue God's purpose, even if it seems illogical, even if it seems like God's going to come back in the next second. We must pursue it. And if we pursue it like that, then we can confidently buy fields because we understand God's plan. We understand We have a God of great power. We understand that we're linked to God's purposes. We can understand and have faith in God's great performance. Let's look at our passage here again, looking at what Jeremiah says in his response at verse number 20 and 21. Our scripture said, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day and in Israel and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day. 
and hast brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm and with great terror. God's great performance. God chose a man by the name of Moses to go into Israel, not Israel, Egypt, and lead his people out. He told them there would be signs, and he went and he performed these signs and led the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. What God said he would do, he did it. He performed it. He did what he said he would do. And, and as we see Jeremiah purchasing this field, we see an act of faith, knowing that what God promised he would perform. How could he do that? He has heard of Egypt. He doesn't just stop at Egypt. In that first verse there, in verse 20, it says, which has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day, and in Israel and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day. The Lord set signs and wonders. And you and I can read all about them in this book right here, the Word of God. And if we do that, then we too can understand we can purchase these fields because what God said he's going to do, he is going to do it. Let me tell you, I've read the, the end of this book and God wins. We can put our faith in that because God said he would do it. We have the testimony that what God said he will do. And it's amazing to think of it that way. And as we move forward to buy new fields, we must trust God, believing that what he has promised, he will perform. We must move out in faith, even when it seems irrational. Why? Because as Jeremiah said, God's powerful works have continued to this day. They've continued. How else do we look at the redemption of mankind? People getting saved. That's why our testimony is so important as we share the gospel. The signs and wonders. God saved me, a sinful man. God restored a marriage from a sinful man. That's amazing. Do we have faith in God's great performance? If we do, then we can move out and buy fields, even when it seems to make no sense. I know Pastor mentioned, and, and as we were talking, we're getting ready for missions conference. And as we get ready for that, we should get excited about the possibility of new fields that we could purchase. We should be excited about it. We bring in missionaries and get to hear about where they're going and take part in their mission. It's amazing. And as I think of that, I, I, I challenge you to support missionaries in new fields to support missionaries in new fields you might say how do we do it well my kids sang about it just earlier that song is so special it says jesus loves me this is true but he loves the whole world too and this is his last command take my gospel to each land even though we're children small we can help him one and all do we really believe that? We can help him one and all. I had the opportunity to preach to children and teach them about missions and, and faith promise. 
And I did it with a penny. I gave each of them a penny and, and, and talked about the missionary being one cent. And there's just so much that we could look at and, and talk about from a penny and missions. And at the end of it, I told them, now you can take a part. Take that penny and give it to missions. That penny could purchase a field. That verse says, even though we're children small, we can help him one and all. With our money and with prayer, send the gospel everywhere. Little ones to him belong, to my Savior big and strong. Help me, Lord, your love to share with lost children everywhere. That last verse says, missions giving is one way. We, our debt of love, can pay. Everyone can have a part with a love gift from the heart. The chorus of the song goes, yes, Jesus loves them. Yes, Jesus loves them. Yes, Jesus loves them, the children of the world. How do we purchase these fields? With our money and with prayer. Let's pray, and I'll turn the service back over to Pastor. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you. We want to thank you for this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to come to share our field of Bulgaria and to, to share about purchasing fields, Lord. When, when things are tough, when times are bad, Lord, you're still the one in control. You're the one with a plan. You're sovereign. Lord, help us to have faith in you and to take the step and purchase new fields. Lord God, please be with us. Be with the message that's been preached. Apply your word to our heart. Lord, convict us if there's conviction needed. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.